Welcome to Hit Subscribe. I'm Chase Alderton, Growth Marketing Manager at Recharge. This episode features Diane Alboy, CTO of Small. We focus on how e-commerce businesses can accurately define lifetime value and the pitfalls of analyzing vanity metrics. We also talk about using a quiz for an onboarding flow and discuss how the culture of sustainability plays into how brands market themselves. So let's get into it. Diane, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you, and you? Good, good. Glad to, uh, glad to have you here. Why don't you give us a quick intro on, uh, on who you are and what you do at Small? Sure. Uh, so my name is Diane. I am the tech lead for Small Products. Um, so Small Products is a UK-based company that creates eco-friendly, convenient household products and distributes them to um, households in the UK and in other European markets. Uh, we've been in existence for about two years now. Uh, and we've been growing really, really fast and, and, and discovering our customers for, for those first two years. Your growth has been awesome watching that from the recharge side. That's really exciting. So I want to start with something that is pretty obvious to start with, which is the small tagline. So coming from a marketing world, uh, most marketing taglines are just kind of a little cheesy or a little funny, but um, the small tagline is small things make a big difference. And I think that's true on so many different levels. How does that kind of impact your day to day? How does that affect what you do every day? Um, you know, f like funnily enough, um, a lot of people will say it's a tagline and, and like, and, 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 and a nice marketing sentence that sticks because it has a lot of small words and, and it's, it has a rhythm to it, but it's really much more than that. It's really a philosophy and it's, it's something that we actually quote a lot in our day to day, um, even unrelated to the product itself. When... I work on different projects with my team, for example, from a tech perspective. It's not about trying to design the next biggest system and having a very water flow approach. It's all about making tiny changes that are gonna add up to a very, very big change for the customer at the end of it. And you can take that to the supply chain, you can take that to marketing, you can take that in technology, and, and you can take that in your day-to-day -day life. Um, and that's why it's, so powerful because we don't just sell it, we actually live it on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, right, that's spot on, that's awesome. It's great user psychology. So, so taking that, like you said, to the product, um, let's take it to onboarding. So one of the first things you notice when you get to the small website is this onboarding quiz. You can't just go in and buy things, you walk through the quiz, you do the checkout, you know, how many uh, pods do you use per week, um, how much frequency, what's the goal behind that? We're seeing a lot of these onboarding quizzes get really popular. Um, is that something that you've been doing for a long time? What do you see uh, value out of that? Yeah. Um, so part of the reason for the quiz, so I, there is different purposes that you can fulfill by using a quiz to onboard your customer. One of them is part, part of it is product discovery. So I know laundry detergent is not like <laughs> a brand new thing that people are discovering, but actually, um, for example, in the UK, we offer two types of, of detergent. Um, and we found out that people didn't necessarily know what they needed. So part of it, when you do a quiz like that, is educating the customer into what they want, uh, making them feel in control of what they're choosing. Uh, and then the third one is getting to know your customer. So by using those kind of quizzes, you sort of, you tailor the initial subscription, but you also need to think about the future of accumulating data that the customer is willing to share with you so that you can 
give them a better offering in the future. If I know that you're uh, a household that has very frequent washes, in the future, I will talk to you much more differently than I talk to the single person household who is receiving two packs a year. Um, and so I think a lot of the people who are doing subscriptions, like quizzes at the moment, are in that realm of trying to learn about the customer and trying to customize to customize it. Um, that said, there is always a very interesting balance to strike between what you want to learn and becoming too heavy ended and, and too intrusive in the questions that you're asking the customer. So you have to be quite careful about where you want to go. You don't want people to be dropping off as you're, as you're asking more and more questions. Because at a certain point you are selling laundry detergent. So you don't want to get so overcomplicated that the, the users going through yeah. this onboarding checkout flow going, why are they asking me this? And why are they asking me that? You just want yeah. to get them understanding who they are and get them to check out. Exactly. And, and it's also about, um, getting to know your customers at different points of the, of the funnel. Um, one of the things that is a pillar to, to our, our, our entire system is also the customer portal of customers where we learn even more about them. So I'm really into data. So as part of, as part of my, my job, I also look after data analytics. And, and one of the things that you want to do is you want to know what you can find out about the customer without being intrusive and what you need to ask them because there is no way you're gonna be able to know by yourself and what you can't know by, 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 um, by deduction, you ask the customer what you can infer by yourself, then just don't, don't ask them. Exactly, exactly. Classic less is more. You only ask what you need to, everything else exactly. you'll figure out through the data. Yeah, exactly. so digging into data, data a bit more, um, how do these custom timeframes boost retention or do they boost retention? You, you have to assume if customers are getting exactly the quantity they need, exactly the time frame they need, is that something that keeps them subscribed for a longer period of time? Yeah. Um, so the answer is, I don't know because we haven't tried the other way. So <laughs> we only know, we only know the retentions that we have, but I do know that compared, um, compared to more classic subscriptions where it's like your, your box of the month, um, it's doing better. And I think part of the reason, part of the reason for that is the, the bespoke aspect, but it's also the control that people are having. So they know they can trust a regular schedule. And on right. top of that, they can order more if they want to. And I think that's, that's a very big difference. If we were just offering the bespoke subscription, it can get really tricky because people have different patterns of usage. Like in the summer, you wash more, you wash less, like you want to be able to have that control. So you want to really offer the two, the two things. And also we have a product that lends itself well to a personalized schedule. Um, there, and, and there is a reason why it's like that. Um, if your product doesn't lend itself to a personal, to a personalization schedule, I would say, don't do it <laughs> because it does <laughs> add, it adds complexity everywhere down to your customer service down to the way you do data analytics so it has to be having an roi for you to be able to do it right so again it's about the customer experience too much kind of puts them over the top or if your product doesn't quite fit it's kind of useless to be asking all those questions yeah yeah exactly so we know that the onboarding quiz gives you gives your customers a really good sense of control 
I'm curious about your fulfillment and your backend. How does, how does it work if you're shipping out different product quantities at different timeframes? Is that just all stuff that's handled on the backend or, or is there, are there different ways you have to analyze those new products coming in or in recurring shipments? Yeah. How does that all work? So it's like, th- this is definitely true that it's, it's part of what I was saying that you, if you don't need to do it, then don't do it. Because if you have, three types of three types of subscriptions managing your inventory is going to be a piece of cake compared to what we're having to do but what i would say is one of the the upsides of small is because we have we now have such a, a, a good customer base and such a good knowledge of our data and i think we use it in very very simple but clever ways that we're able to predict relatively well um the evolutions of our, the evolution of our inventory and the evolution of our stock, and despite the complexity of the data, now there are so many data tools out there that allow you to do what you used to have to do in Excel in in macros before, right. and therefore you can afford to be more complicated because you have at your hands tools to just deal with that kind of complexity. So awesome. it's been fine so far. We've we've rolled out. We started with laundry and we now have two additional product lines on top of it. And we feel very confident that I like I'm, I I can see it growing very, very easily. That's awesome. So so let's dig in more to to the growth. Um, LTV is one of the biggest topics, not only just in general e-commerce, but we've had conversations in the past about how we define LTV and some of the problems behind setting a real definition towards all that. What's, what's kind of your overall philosophy on LTV and maybe how it, how LTV works at small? Uh, I think we spoke about this six months ago. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I have made progress since then, but I don't, I don't have, I don't have a good answer just yet as, as in a very structured answer. Yet, for several reasons, I would say I think the the overarching thing is you need to calculate the LTV according to your business model. So, if you're a subscription-only business, even if you're in the e-commerce space, I tend to calculate LTV following a SaaS model. So, just following the formula that a SaaS model would use for an LTV calculation. Um, that becomes more complex with models like ours where we don't really have, where you need to first determine where the majority of your customer base sits in terms of how recurring their subscriptions are before you can actually dig into how you calculate the LTV. And then the second dimension is if you're more on the e-commerce, traditional e-commerce space and you have a dimension of subscription, then you you should more look towards an e-commerce, um, a traditional e-commerce calculation of LTV where you can kind of boost up the probability of returning by the fact that you're offering a subscription, but you shouldn't be basing yourself on a, on a subscription business LTV because you're going to, I mean, you're going to have better numbers. It's going to look better for the investors, but re- like realistically, it's, that's, that's not what your LTV actually is. Um, Looking better for investors is a, a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but it's, it, it is a very like it is a very relevant information because when you talk about data and you talk about KPIs, a lot of people unfortunately feel like 
they have to focus on certain KPIs that are more vanity metrics or, or trying to boost those, those metrics because they're having to report to someone or they're having to, to show that to someone. And you can very easily shoot yourself in the foot if this is, this is what you're focusing on and you end up forgetting to look at the more realistic set, uh, the more realistic set of data. Um, and, I, and the final thing I would say about LTV is never ever look at LTV just by itself. Always look at your LTV to CAC ratio. And it's, it sounds simple once you've read about it and once you know this is what you have to do, but it, some people tend to forget about it and just focus on LTV. Um, That's a really important point. Oh yeah, yeah, sorry, go ahead. And then the one more, one more thing as well is um, for people out there who think that LTV can be calculated without a gross, mar a gross margin, you have to include the gross margin <laughs> in the LTV, or at least make sure that the make sure that the metrics that you're comparing yourself against are calculating it the same way that you are, because you're either going to be very happy about yourself or very depressed if you're <laughs> if you're comparing the wrong the wrong kind of metrics. And I've, I've made the mistake in the past as well. So. So the long story short is this is a really easy calculation and you just couple numbers, you plug it in and you're done, right? <laughs> what are, what are some of these vanity metrics that you're talking about? What are things that you think that some people maybe focus too much on that we shouldn't be focusing on? Um, size of your customer base without, with omitting the fact that, uh, a certain percentage might be inactive due to churn rate. Um, talking about your number of subscriptions without talking about how often they they recur, or again the status that they're in. If seventy five percent of your subscriptions are off, I don't really care if you have thousands and thousands of them. Um, There's value there if you can end up running a successful winback campaign and getting people resubscribed, but. You're yeah. right. If 75% of your customers aren't subscribing, then they're essentially worthless. Exactly. You need to. So I think it's, it's a combination of the metrics that you look at and how you phrase them and how you look at them. So exactly back to your point, if you have a very big customer base and for very valid reason, a big part of that customer base is now inactive because let's say you've discontinued a line of products that they really, really loved you have to see it as a potential, um, a potential user base that you can win back very easily for free. So at a CAC of zero, which is quite, which is quite, quite an upside, but you can't talk about it as I have 2 million customers because you don't have 2 million customers. You maybe have like 1 million and then you have 1 million sitting that could potentially become customers again. So I think that's that, um, that, that's quite an important point. Uh, in terms of other vanity metrics, I think um, there's always things like traditional marketing metrics around like engagement and around um, visits to your site. Visits to your site is actually a pretty tricky one because when you live in the subscription space, you get a lot of visits of people who come and amend their subscription. <laughs> they don't come because they're interested about your product. So you need to become really, really good at distinguishing the two so that you have a more realistic picture of the, of the world. But you could very easily get away with saying that you have a lot more 
traffic to your site that a traditional e-commerce site might have. So those are the kind of things that I call vanity metrics. That's an awesome point. I love looking at those kind of pieces of context that you sometimes leave out. You know, if you have 100,000 subscribers and you're getting 120,000 visits to your site every month or whatever it ends up being, there's a significant chunk of those people who are just coming to log into your portal. And those are just people who are hitting the site over again. Those aren't customers or they yeah. are customers. They're not potential customers. They're not making you any money. They're just, they're just kind of yeah. inflating your metrics. Yeah, exactly. Really interesting. Um, so, so what is the solution to all of this LTV? Is there a solution? Is it just factor in as many numbers as you can try to make sure you're looking at cost of acquisition, including with this gross margins always included, What's, what's the, the right solution? I think it's a pretty traditional data and definition problem, really. Um, and one that you run into, not just for LTV, which is set yourself a target for and a definition for your measure and try not to deviate from it, following that formula and staying consistent with how you're measuring things is the first thing that I would say. Um, and then second is think about delta and think about movement rather than the actual number itself, which for health, for LTV is hard because people tend to want to think about the actual number, but your aim is really to increase the LTV of your customer, right? It's like a, a lot of the projects that you, that, that, that you do are to, are, are to do with that because in order to do that, you need to increase the AOV, you need to decrease the churn, you need to, to, to improve your growth margin, your growth margin. So, look at the delta and look at the evolution of those metrics and your overall LTV rather than the focusing on the on the number itself. Because in that way, it doesn't matter if the number is, is wrong, if it's the truth or not the truth. Like nobody can tell you what's the, the truth or not for your particular business. It's about how you can make it evolve. So like always look at the delta and you'll never be wrong. Love that. That's great advice. Delta is huge. You know, if you're growing from, from one to two is the same growth margin as growing from hundred thousand to 200,000. Yeah. So looking at those numbers, beating the day before is all you're looking for. Yeah. The caveat cool. is if you're benchmarking yourself against other companies, then that's when it becomes a problem. But that's kind of like, that's why you can, uh, you can just adjust the formula at that point in time. If you, if you really want to. Right. Right, right. So shifting gears, moving towards an interesting uh, topic that's pretty hot today, which is sustainability. So a lot of companies in today's e-commerce world are boasting about sustainability, making sure their products are organic and they're recyclable and all these kind of things. It's obviously not a secret that every product that's shipped needs to be in some sort of box, which creates waste. Why is it important for small to be focused on sustainability as kind of this core value prop? Um. I don't know if we use the word sustainability a lot. Uh, I think sustainability is actually, I mean, it's a tricky word in and out of itself because if you look at the, the definition of it, it means keeping up the growth, right? Like doing right. something sustainable, sustaining a rhythm means keeping up with it. and. Right. What you actually want to do when you produce eco-friendly product is almost like reducing the impact that you're having. So I'd like, I, I t these days I tend to be a bit fidgety when I hear people talking about sustainability because a lot of the initiatives around it are about how do I keep up my lifestyle? How do I get like the same level for less money? Um, how do I feel better about the impact that I have but still have the same level of consumption? 
Um, what I would say is like, for small, what's really important is doing things better and improving every single day, which goes back to the slogan um, about, about uh, doing small things but making a big difference. And when we think about our impact, we have a bunch of different dimensions that we look at in our products to do with the quantity of chemicals that's being used, to do with the amount of CO2 that's consumed to, to do the shipping, but it's also down to every single element of the supply chain are we trying to minimize our impact for every single one of them? And every single day, our head of operation does an amazing job at that, is thinking about how you're going to go and improve every single bit across the supply chain. And I think that's what that's what behind, that's what's behind the small philosophies. Like we're improving every day. We started at a, at a really good at a really good level and we're improving every single day to reduce it. Um, when it comes with regards to shipping, that's actually a very interesting point because people think, like, people don't think that in order for a product to get on your supermarket shelf or in the, in the shop around the corner, it, it had to go, it had to be shipped and exactly. it had to be carried in a truck. It, it had to be in a box somewhere. Back. So right. The fact that the fact that things are being shipped, and I'm not saying like it, it's definitely true that the increased number of parcels that are being shipped around is definitely something to worry about, and the amount of packaging, and that's also one of the reasons why we created our own packaging because that minimizes again the amount of packaging that we could be using while at the same time being safe, and that's why we spent months and months developing it, um, and that's also part of the reason it always circles back, but it's also part of the reasons why we're personalized because if you personalize, you don't have to change the, the size of the box, right? And therefore, in the way that things are packed and in the way that things are stacked in a truck, you can gain more space and be much more efficient than if you had dozens of boxes that all have a different shape because you're having to, shape different, to, to ship different quantities around. So it's all a very big and complex puzzle that kind of fits together in one go. That's such a great point. And it's something that I, that I, I didn't even really think of, and it's not a topic that I wanted to get into here, but it's so interesting thinking every little piece of, of production around a product goes into figuring out how to deliver it from purchase to the person's doorstep. And there are so many other steps that go into this whole thing that it's, it's really hard to focus all those things in. And I think it even plays into LTV as well. Like how, like all of the things that you charge for shipping or, or the cost of packaging, all of that, that needs to be factored back into your lifetime value cost and yeah. your cost of acquisition and understanding how each customer plays into your, your overall business strategy. So I think it's, it's a, a nightmare of an equation to write out, but I think it's all related and it's things that people need to be taking, paying attention to. I think it's also really exciting. I mean, I think when I, it, one of the things that's also really fascinating about the topic is that when you're, when you're trying to be in the sustainability space, or at least in, um, in, in trying to trying to reinvent some of the products that are out there, or some of the processes in the in the consumer space, what you need to always keep in mind is that consumers have standards. Consumers for the past 10, 15 years have been used to growing with Amazon and Amazon Prime and Walmart and all of those big retailers that have, they are very, very powerful and have a lot of big brains behind them. And they expect for you to have 
the exact same delivery, but at the same time produce better product and know them better because you're independent and personalized and direct, uh, direct to them. So you have a triple challenge to match what's out there, try to put out better product, um, while at the same time sustaining the normal KPIs of a business. Um, all this in a tiny startup. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what keeps it interesting. That's what keeps, uh, keeps it fun every day, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So I want to end with this. Uh, one of my favorite questions to ask people anytime I talk to anybody, um, we've talked a lot about subscriptions and about what you're purchasing and how to ship them and LTV and all these things. What is it that you are subscribed to in the physical subscription space? And uh, what are, what are the, some of the products that you enjoy? Um, well, I, I mean, it's going to be an obvious one, but I obviously subscribe to small. <laughs> uh, I, what are the other subscription? Physical, I have a lot of magazine subscriptions, which I know is probably not the most environmental friendly, but I'm a big, I've been following National Geographic for years and years and years. Um, and it follows me for every country that I moved to. Um, and then a bunch of other, a bunch of other magazines, but I think that's, oh, and of course, um, all of my groceries are now on a subscription basis. Um, be it from fresh vegetables all the way to the kind of like more general house things that, that I need. Everything is subscription based at the moment. And I think that part, part of the future household is definitely, is definitely there. I would agree. I would very much agree. Well, thank you, Diane, so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time here. Oh, thanks uh, for having have, me. Thanks a lot. Have a fantastic afternoon. Thank you. We want to thank Diane again for joining us. If you're interested in Small, you can head over to smallproducts.com. If you're looking for more episodes, check us out at rechargepayments.com slash hit subscribe. And to get the latest episodes as soon as they're released, remember to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from. 